0: Hello and welcome to the fifth episode on catalyzing radical systemic change. The topic today is debunking meditation as a panacea for everything. And I know I did not even agree with my two guests on, on the header, but I will put it a little bluntly. There's a famous Zen quote which says, if you see the buddha kill him and i have the feeling this is a good start uh, into our conversation today because there's a couple of meanings so when you dive deeper into the meaning of the quote one is if you see the buddha out there kill him because the buddha can't be out there because that which is always ever present like the buddha nature in you and us and all of us can't be out there. So that's the original, let's say, meaning from the Zen quote. Um, the other one that I would like to highlight for today's um, dialogue is, I have the feeling we literally need to kill meditation as it's often put out there on a billboard as a meditation, as a panacea for stress and burnout prevention to be more successful to earn more money to whatever and for that we need to unpack the concept to get a better understanding what different types of meditations exists in the different cultural backgrounds and also where this let's call it eternal gem of meditation can shine forth but also nuance it where it might be best complemented with other techniques for personal development with that super teeny tiny blurb i'm happy to hand over to felix hoch and yeah felix i'm kindly asking yourself to introduce yourself give a little bit of background on your person and obviously also link it to the topic of our dialogue today
1: Thanks, Ali. Thanks, first of all, for the invitation to the podcast. Uh, May I ask, is it more a one-minute introduction, self-introduction, or how deep Um, do you like us
0: to go? Let's make it anything between one to three minutes, maybe because I have the feeling we will dive deeper into our journeys as human beings uh, attached uh, to the topic later. But it does not need to be super short.
1: All right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. First of all, I'm happy to be call myself a friend of yours. Regarding the topic, um, I guess, what made me interested for participating in your podcast is the fact that I have a mixture of a um, meditation practice since since the 90s, then also exposure to to integral theory and, and practice i had studied in munich um, comparative religion with a focus on um, maybe japanese buddhism japanology and philosophy and um, yeah during the last couple of years entering the professional life so i was really interested how to bring mindfulness practices meditation practice into my work as facilitator coach and moderator I think um, this is good for the start and um, I'll hand it over to Nicholas.
2: Thank you, Felix. Um, I think that Japan is also where I want to start. Um, I once did a half a year um, exchange over there in Japan and that's where I was in a, found myself in a, a society where meditation and mindfulness was kind of practiced and eaten with the breakfast drink, drunk with the tea. And I stumbled into a class by a beautiful professor that kind of started my interest and also became a mentor of mine in my own quest into wisdom, traditions, and also meditation. And I think ever since I went on a quest to understand it on a theoretical level but also um to practice to go into long-term retreats and um and um yeah with a little detour to the european parliament where i was three years uh, working there as an advisor um i now teach meditation um in berlin at a really beautiful almost spaceship-like uh, meditation center called ohia and then we give like longer workshops on like where can i be where am i on that journey of meditation etc but i also um as a coach right now i i help organizations and also leaders to understand themselves better and to yeah to be more aligned so in some ways to bring this old wisdom also back into the real world and it's something that brings me a lot of joy and i that's why i'm also really looking forward to um to this conversation today yeah
0: so maybe as a starting point for our dialogue today i want to unpack the headline of meditation because i certainly know that from my personal experience it took me i'd say half a decade so a good five years starting with 17 with yoga and concentrative meditative practices and then switching consciously after a a very intense peak experience to vipassana and zen meditation that i found out that there is no such thing seemingly as one meditation technique more like a plethora like a richness of meditation techniques from diverse uh, cultural backgrounds so to frame that as a question is can we give our audience some broad categories or buckets or drawers or categorizations into which certain meditation techniques fall And I'm not addressing this uh, technique to any one of the two of you specifically, but really asking like into the space in between the three of us.
1: Hmm. Nicholas, you want to take that?
2: When I started meditation and I peeked into many different traditions and I often, or like even like small groups, and I often found this one answer or this one theme going around is like this practice that we do here is the right one. So the, uh, almost an orthodoxy, orthos being the right way. And that seemed really weird to me and on the way. Now I understand why this is so weird It's because there are different meditation techniques. And meditation, let's unpack it. What is meditation is just, in its most basic way, it's just a way to train. It, it's just a, a overarching theme of, of different techniques that train the mind, right? And so um, I found a beautiful paper, I think it was it, um, by Dal Davidson and Richard Davidson and uh, Lutz, and they actually did all the work, the, scient- the scientists, to categorize the different styles of meditation and um, once i found this i was like oh finally because finally we can understand now how which different styles of meditation train which part of the brain and what they actually said is once there's there's kind of more mindful focused attention practices which is kind of they train your focus and those are like the things you you need to kind of really start off it's like that is the wind that gets the plane off the ground, so you can start to work. And there you have all different kinds of practices inside that. You know, you have um, what some would would, would call samatha practices, practices where you just focus your attention on either your breath or um, um, or uh, yeah, uh, like a candle. It's just many different ways, you know. But then there's also loving kindness practices that really train your mind to. The plasticity of your mind to to be more loving and to change also the script of your mind of how you perceive the world, and those are really really beautiful. Like there's a um, you have tonglen practice, meta practice, etc. And as a third one, you have more insight practices. Practice that train your, your capacity to understand how your mind works and make sense of the world, like metacognitive practices. Uh, those are usually at the end of the journey, but it's also really worthwhile to start the journey there and then to reconstruct it. I mean, that's just a little taster into the different styles or categories of meditation that I find really, really useful. Because if you go to the gym, right, you don't have it that someone, you don't have a person that tells you you only need to train your arms. You actually need to train your mind in all its different facets. And only training your focus, for example, will not make you more compassionate. And this is why I advocate for, now now that we start with mindfulness, let's delve into the the beauty, the, the joy of all those different practices.
1: Yeah, I may add, or I can add, um, from from my, my personal practice practice journey, I'm mainly Zen. Was mainly Zen practitioner for most of the year, uh, for most of my life. And interestingly, Zen is very very stubborn or radical in in looking at different meditation approaches because it, it emphasizes that the most important question about the practice path is the question or the the desire to to wake up. And uh, the most important thing is just to look into who you are. And of course, um, during the journey, um, different aspects of meditation unfold. But it doesn't indulge in this this uh, cross training and have multiple practices approach. Let's like say, uh, the Tibetan Buddhism. And for myself, I um, I was on that that practice path myself for for a lot of years before I I realized that I um, was lacking a couple of things that, that stood in my way and that I needed to to live a good life in in society as a lay person as a secular person and that broadened my perspective to meditation and that not even in within the realm of of Buddhist meditation, but complementing it with other aspects, especially prayer and and heart heart meditation in general. So the multitude multitude of spiritual practices can be, of course, um, looked at from a, from a systematic point of view but also from a um, point of view of just unfolding what's what's necessary for you or where you feel that your own practice path is is not satisfying you or is not keeping you on the track that you want to be
0: I want to riff off the 3 broad categorizations that Nicholas uh, brought in and I would like if Nicholas, you know, uh, keeps, keeps repeating them. My biggest aha moment was actually reading a very small book from Osho, uh, this Bhagwan, you know, Sri Rajneesh guy that died uh, in in the nineties, like 1990, which is called the orange book. And, it shows more than 80 different meditation techniques in all variety. So it kind of gives you a glimpse on what meditation could look like in everyday life, when you're swimming, when you're walking, when you're at the gym, when you're sitting still, when you have your eyes open. So I'm really curious, Nicolas, to listen in where these broad categories still sit because i i I truly also have the feeling we first need to train our attention You, you know you were giving the metaphor of the wind to lift the plane to then unfold in maybe more complex practices yeah so just curious to explore that uh together
2: um yeah, so in a way, meditation is also a bit of a, once a word is being picked up from one field and then enters the mainstream, it just becomes a, a everyone's word. And then some people also start to use it that have never used it in their own different ways, you know. So suddenly eating a burger is meditative, you know, suddenly uh going hunting is a meditation and uh it, it might seem almost you know absurd from the you know maybe traditions that have more cherished and really went deep into you know have had meditation as a, as a practice and maybe even never called it that way so in that way i would never even dare to say i have the right answer for what is meditation you know, maybe I have to say this with a caveat. So everything I say, take it with a pinch of salt. Um, and yet, and yet, if we want to categorize meditation, one way to look at it is meditation is just a sophisticated way to train your mind. And then there's different ways to train your mind, right? And um, yeah, and the first categorization would, would or like the first category would be like this one of, Focused attention, and if you look at TM mantra meditation, anything where your mind is focused on one thing is actually is exactly training that. So what are you training? You're actually training your awareness, and then you're also training the awareness of your awareness, so your meta awareness. So like, where's my mind when I'm focusing? And this is kind of it's, it gives you the superpower. But then there's also another different thing that trains something completely different. It's training kind of your capacity to your plasticity of your mind and you're constructing your worldview in a way. So if you take a chakra meditation, Tonglen, Meta, all those practices are constructing and helping you to to, to reorient your your scripts in life to 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 perceive the world in a nicer way, you know. Um, so where and 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 that's a completely different practice. And this is why this we can really say this is a second cluster. And then there, the third one is really that, that field of metacognition. And it's maybe also where Felix enters when he enters a deep Zen state. And maybe when he talk about those states, those are mostly absorptions that happen post-focused attention. Zoxxen training, you know, um, any kind of uh, self-inquiry, Ramana Maharshi, et cetera. Those are all kind of deconstructive practices. you know. So they are deconstructing the way you perceive the world um, in, in a healthy scientific way because in a way, what you're doing is you're getting rid of false self-identifications. And I don't know Osho's book, um, but maybe we can try to point those things in there. I assume most are on the focus attention part and yet once we take that word meditation we can take it all different words you know all different ways and i don't know any kind of practice can be called a meditation nowadays and maybe we take it at that or we don't accept it it's it's not up to me felix what do you think
1: yeah I'd, i'd like to um um bring in the theme of the night the debunking meditation I yeah really really liked also the the overview that that you brought, and looking at the the categorization of different kinds of meditation, you mentioned or summarized it as a training training of the mind, and you use the um, the gym gym metaphor. I think I I'd, I'd like to yeah just to point out um, that so the, the the training aspect training of the mind is. Um, Story story of meditation, um, that yeah is as um, relative, and you also had your disclaimer for as um, the, the the traditional version. It's um, yeah it's it's the it's a spiritual it's a spiritual practice for others, and this is very great, uh, big in society. Um, and yeah, comes the commodification, stress relief, well being and so on and so forth. So I find it quite, quite interesting that we now that meditation comes into the mainstream, have these these parallel narratives about what meditation is is all about and what it is good for. And um, yeah, of course, I in my my business practice operate with the, the, the training functional metaphor as well. For instance, I'm at the moment also stu- um, training student teams in the innovation practice of design thinking. And in that context, I present meditation both from teamwork, communication, empathy, resilience, creativity point of view. But of course, if you would ask me starting my meditation practice, after school, when I did my my social um, service in an elderly care um, organization, and was really desperate about um, what's what's the meaning of life and what what is this all about. Um, that came more from yeah from the unique question of why why of that. Who am I? What what is this? Why and. I I feel there's value in all of these uh, stories, and in that sense, yeah, challenging also. And we had this conversation in the beginning: um, the debunking aspect or the debunking part in the topic, the theme of the night. Um, is it debunking, or um, is it different different levels of application and different stories for different audiences? And yeah, uh, the main question for me, the most important question is what what is it good for? How can it help? And um, where can't it help? And where certain stories um, lead us into maybe was yeah, into a direction where we cannot move forward or where things get too shallow, or where it is an invitation to then do the next step that is more more deep or more in line maybe let's say with uh, traditional approaches mm. if you have this as a reference okay um
2: i think i want to just jump in again one more time as like when i say for example training the mind we are i think we're often having kind of this this understanding of the mind as just your brain but what we're starting with when we train meditation is just we're becoming an inner scientist. So we look down and, when we, and then we actually try to examine all different parts of minds. So that kind of brings us back to the question of what is mind, right? And that also brings us to the question of, yeah, what is perception, et cetera. So in some ways, our mind, and that's the new way of looking at it, you know, is, is not only the brain, it's as well our senses. It's also our body's intelligence, our interoception, and what Damazi would call like the, 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 the you know, your somatic markers, your intuition. That is as well your mind, you know? And then of course it's your emotions and how, how your emotions sometimes color your life and your mental activities. But it's also how the outside world. So the five senses, your interior interoception, like your, your interior in, uh, intuition. Your mental activities, and but there's also the outside world and how I actually relate and how the outside world connects with me. So this is not something we only train on the cushions. It's what we do every day. It's how we make life, you know, how we make uh, use of this world, right? Or like how we walk through life. And um, and I find this is a practice that, in some ways, it encompasses everything because we're actually looking at perception per se and how we can. Make more sense and have a nicer way, being almost a connoisseur of of, of this thing that we call life, right? Um, and I find that so beautiful. And this is kind of this new idea of mind. Hey, it's not only we are not people that that, that are just carrying around our brains, you know. Like we are, um, we are embodied. Our body, every inch of our body is a a cell of intelligence that keeps giving us information. And it's also like, I cannot be myself without you right now looking at me, you know, and without Alistair's glasses staring, you know, stoically with a smart smile on me, you know? So I am constructing myself through looking at you. And this is like our connection, everything I am is emerging in this dialogue. So when I say training the mind, I also just mean as like this kind of, wow, I'm alive. What does that mean? You know, and how can I just make this more juicy, flavorful, powerful, and and uh, how I can just become, be more in love with this, you know?
0: I would throw in... Uh... A, a dash of intensity in, in the discussion and I will quote myself or tell a tiny story about myself. The thing is when I did meditate maybe for eight years and I had like very intense peak experiences and I thought myself to be very clever and smart. We're now in my mid twenties, right? I became very painfully actually aware that, Just me having these enlightening, peakness, oneness, Godhead, Kundalini, whatever, let's say, extraordinary experiences did not make my life functional, which is why I very consciously after having read Ken Wilber and diving a little bit into the literature, started to complement my meditative practice with psychotherapy. So this is a long story, but the, let's say, intensity that I want to throw into the room in between the three of us, that almost my hypothesis would be that if you only meditate, even if you apply various meditation techniques, you can be very highly enlightened, but not necessarily be very functional. So it seems that the wisdom and the beauty and the richness of all these sometimes thousands of years old techniques can't really touch upon a part what we would call like the shadow of the psyche or trauma and something like that and um yeah i'm just curious to listen in um, where you have also yeah made some of this experiences in your tradition or in the various traditions that you touched on and what would your recommendations be to that
1: felix yeah as as mentioned i have been practicing meditation mainly in um, in the tradition of, of Zen, both the Japanese and, and Korean. And there of course I had the opportunity to, to observe it um, both outside and also in within myself that um, the 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 pra- the form the forms of the practice um, and, and the meditation um yeah don't don't address a lot of the things that I feel important um, in in my life Um, beyond meditation emotions you mentioned um, being being functional relating to other people and maybe this is part part of the reason is that meditation practices where um, yeah, we were conducted mainly in, in monastic contexts. And there you had a certain um, intensity and everybody was under one, one roof and everybody can see each other all the time. And then you had a close relationship with um, a teacher, master, what have you. And there are a lot of, a lot of things could be included within the context of of that monastery or that that practice practice community now especially becoming lay or having meditation as a as a lay phenomenon secular phenomenon it becomes difficult because meditation um, yeah as you mentioned doesn't address psychology psychological aspects particularly um aspects of the psychology of modern modern individualistic People and yeah, from from my own experience, it I also did um, some psycho psychotherapy, but for me it mainly showed up in in the question of how how am I connected with my heart, and I mentioned I mentioned that I then turned or brought in um, prayer. And, and heart meditation and I've, interestingly I didn't get to, to the meta to the love and kindness meditation of Buddhism but had another tradition on supplementing that aspect of my meditation practice which is from coming from Zen very very minimalistic and it's just looking at the mind looking looking at, at the self and with that not really having a good vehicle to look at psychological stuff because the focus mainly on what is below or beyond the psychological so recommendation is if you ask me yeah it is to complement the meditation practice or have a look at whether the meditation practice the tradition that you're Engaged in, have a lot of intersubjective relational aspect, the m- more feminine qualities of of being, and yeah, don't don't become too rigid in in your meditation practice. So that would be a good indicator f- first when to complement it, and then how to. Nicholas. Mm.
2: I'm currently in a meditation and study retreat um, with with Stephen Batchelor and his wife. So some of the old Jedi masters of meditation. And I'm also in one of the largest libraries for kind of meditation and kind of contemplative books. And it's a really beautiful space that smells like library. Um, I would not say that it smells nice, but it smells like library, um, which kind of brings me to why do we meditate, you know, is to have a richer, deeper life. And if we look at the life of the Buddha, I think 600 years before Christ in the same time with Socrates, right? It, meditation was a part of the teaching and in some ways it, um, and some ways he was one of the most successful cognitive psychologists or therapists at the time. You know, he looked at what are the problems of people at the time and then answered in their own way, in you know, in their own language, with sometimes more stories than anything else. Um, so which is let's move on. Like if we look at the 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 the, the history of meditation traditions, it's always like delving going between theory and practice for example some go went too cognitive or too much too much in the brain too much theoretical and then like in china and then out of that chan developed that was kind of a more let's get back to practice kind of tradition that from this on zen developed you know so in some ways we always have this dichotomy between oh we should we should be more on the brainy side, and and listen, go to the theory of it, and and see how what is the ethical life, and so on. And there's also the practice approach of it, where you say, okay, if you don't practice, it it's not worth it. Um, so the joy of meditation is kind of this: is you go inside, and if you really look into a room full of med, you know meditators, it might look like super calm. But if you if you would look into the minds of the people, it would be more like a like a boxing match that they have with themselves, you know? So it's like a silent boxing place where many different boxing matches are happening in the same time. So only through or with meditation we you can kind of get to a to a baseline or really understand, hey, where am I right now? And you can sometimes go even underneath it. Something that in yogic tradition we call nirada parinama, kind of I'm I'm going through the washing machine of going through a deep space where actually I can see my thoughts, you know, I can see the roots of my thoughts, but I don't identify with them. And that in deep training can give you to really altered states. But in everyday life, what happens here is you can get faster to baseline. You can get faster into that, that, that state where you can like that capacity to realize Am I actually above the line? Am I open to receive right now? Or am I below the line? And below the line, I am, if I work a lot, I'm often below the line, which means that I answer then from a place where my heart is closed, where I actually am just from talk from my ego. And I take decisions that are not so nice, you know? And so meditation helps me in the everyday life. To get faster to baseline, or to even locate myself—am I below or, or you know, above—and that I think is is the contribution of this practice. And if I wouldn't train, I would be more often below the line and just entering drama cycles again and again and again. So it kind of helps me to get out of it. But in order to to live a successful life, I don't think that's enough. I don't think meditation is enough. I don't even think like you know reading theory and 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 contemplating it is enough. You know sometimes it's a it's a therapy. Other times it's it's a, it's a coaching, and I think above all it's training how to be with humans. So relational competences um, that make a successful, beautiful life.
0: I want to touch upon the mentioned above or below the line, so. I I would tend to say that I perceive my daily meditative practice mainly to better find and fine tune that, what I would call baseline, as you mentioned it, and to be better aware of the amplitudes, both in the like, say, beautiful peak experience, oneness with everything or hugging a tree and being one with the tree, whatever, to the more, I would not necessarily say depressed, but maybe overwhelmed or exhausted um, states. So translating that into a question, since I know we all three of us have a very dedicated and many years long meditative practice, what are stages of development um, that, that we could describe for someone that is just starting the journey or deepening the journey? And what are the fruits of um, meditation? I'm curious to listen into it these two
1: aspects.
2: Felix, you want to go?
1: At the moment, yeah, I feel that um, this question was a little too abstract for myself to connect to. Um, So I hand it over to you.
2: (laughs) So where does the meditative journey go and where does it start? You know, usually it starts with oh shit I'm stressed I need to do something you know and then you start to breathe and what and then you start to self-regulate so we start with self regulation we learn to regulate ourselves and we take ownership the two factors of self-regulation is monitoring and once I monitor like scanning the body or something else I can modify so I can regulate I can take ownership again of my life which some people actually when they talk about meditation or mindfulness as, oh, like, we, you know, they talk about something negative of like, oh, no, when they're stressed, they just apply meditation on it. And and therefore, it's just, you know, putting kind of just, um, yeah, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. But actually, it's a different thing. It's actually giving people agency again over their nervous system, over how they perceive the world. And so we're starting with self-regulation. But then we move on to something else. So once you're in the self-regulation mode and you're like, oh, this is actually quite interesting, you're entering self-exploration. And when you're entering self-exploration, this mode of, uh, I took this from a 2013 paper, but but I find it so nice because it's kind of a, I'm exploring how my mind works, how everything works, and it becomes a joyful process. So you're like, why do I need to be outside when being inside is super cool? Like there's this Buddhist concept of piti. For example, where the pity is kind of the joy before having even a sensual experience. So you find the joy inside, so you don't need to look for it outside. But then you move from self-regulation to self-exploration to self-transcendence. And self-transcendence can be, we can make it large and use all the big words like awakening and so on, but even feeling compassion is already, you know, compassioning with someone is a is a feeling where you feel, in in you know in a transcendent state, and at times you really reach deeper states where actually we can call them altered states, and there's different categorization categorization system, and and if you're a avid meditator, it's kind of some people there states like the jhana states where. Like even like you, you, you feel like that. a Dragon Ball Z kind of Son Goku where you collect those different states and then you compare them and put post-its, post-its on them. But that's later in, the, in on, the, on the journey of having experience of self-transcendence. But what I just want to say is like the journey starts with, oh, I need to regulate myself. And then you have this kind of conversations with people about, hey, I feel stressed and so on and you give them the tools to kind of um, explore by themselves. And this is what I think the beginning of mindfulness is. And this is where also this conversation about, is mindfulness bad, is make mindfulness, you look on a burger and it says, breathe. Um, Is that a bad thing per se? I personally don't think it's a bad thing. Why? Because actually people start to get interested and if they're interested, they go further down the line. And at times they get lost in the jungle of mindfulness. And that's where people like, uh, you know, Felix uh, or Alistair, you and I, we come and hopefully help people to find their own path and their own way in in this jungle, you know. Um,
0: Just a technical um, comment since Nicholas, I know you're wearing your Lavalier mic at the lower left or right. And when you're touching it often with your gestures, it makes like funny noises.
2: Yeah. Um, just Sorry, I'm more, often more goofy yeah. than I'm Rafiki. Uh,
0: yeah. All good. <laughs> um, let's put a uh, a little bit more intensity in in the middle of the room because I truly have the feeling when I was preparing for this, right, for now a month or so. Um, I want to really riff off the commodification aspect. So I'm not an activist. I certainly know that in my very own personal journey. I did not start meditation as a means to relieve stress or be more functional. For me, it was pretty classical. Like I think like millions of others before me or billions, I don't know. It was, I was reading Hermann Hesse Siddhartha and I really had this, I mean, I did not know anything about anything, right? I was like 15 and a half or something like that. And I really had this fuck, like this like, damn, like this dude, this like Buddhist, Buddha guy, you know, he's like up to something. I want to wake up. So, and this obviously does not have to do with anybody being functional, right? I mean, just if we quote some of the biggest saints and now very popular also in the West, like Ramana Maharshi, was he functional? in a Western sense, right? Was he living a very integrated life or was Ramakrishna or or, uh, like uh, Sri Aurobindo, were they very integrated? I think these examples of, let's call them enlightened, awake, certainly pretty strong characters, right? They were, I don't think they were so much about most of the aspects that I think are primarily sold uh, uh, on the market, which are as a means to relieve stress, get, be more successful, earn more money, have a better life. So, um, yeah, let's, let's riff off the wish to, 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 to wake up Felix. I'm really, I'm really curious on that because, yeah.
1: I mean, in the beginning I I said, yeah, know, the, the quest, question is um, whether any particular narrative of meditation um, it becomes a problem for you at some point in life. And there, there are obviously different reasons why to start a meditation. Um, you laid out a path, um, Nicholas and um, Alistair, you told your story. I b- briefly mentioned mine. Um, and that was also more Around yeah, very in a very existential question, and then uh, during the the following years of, of practice and uh, finding finding my way, other aspects of of meditation became then more um, relevant, or I could wo- were more obvious to myself um, as as beneficial. So I guess. The, the real question is, when when is it is it helpful to have a certain narrative, and when when trans- transcend it and uh, move move beyond. And the only the problem with comma modification is to put it like you know, headspace, meditation apps, and so on and so forth. Um, it can it can leave out a deeper deeper dimension. And um, if you don't stumble across, let's say a meditation um, practice or a a practitioner or a a teacher that um, represents this, these deeper elements of of meditation, you may get, get, get stuck in these more functional, let's say, approaches to these practices, but in general, and I said this before the interview, I'm not critical to a modification in per se. I think this can be a good entry point to meditation practices. Yeah, the, the question is where where does it where does it stop? And um, are you aware of, of the next possible steps, how to deepen your, your meditation practice or maybe to, to shift the narrative and I myself have a particularly had a particular starting point you had your starting point um and Nicholas, i would be interested to bring a personal note would you um, um share how you started meditation um in in addition to the inspiration with your teacher your professor in 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 japan
2: um
1: yeah i went into
2: different retreats um, and also different traditions, really. Um, there was one, why? there was, why, why, the why, why? The why? <laughs> Felix, was it the why or what I did?
1: The why, not the what.
2: Okay, I can tell you one thing. I entered this room of my professor that was a like a shabby little university room. And there was this guy with gray hair and there he was and there was something resonating from him and then he said i don't know he said we sat down and he said be grateful for life for every detail of it and soon your face will start to shine like the sun and everyone that sees it will become glad and peaceful and then he told us that this was roomy and then he took us on this journey from A. there's this idea of dualism where you and an object are different things, and but there's a lot of cool, wise people levitating from different traditions. Uh, they say actually you can feel a sense of oneness, and it's a lot of fun. And I I, I felt that in my heart. So in a way that that was became more interesting than at the, you know all the other things I had in mind at that time, which was mostly food photography and women and 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 kind of naively thinking that i could change the world or or something like this you know so that's the why and the deep curiosity because i i love those texts you know like um if you ever stumble upon a a translation by Stephen mitchell of the the tao it's just like i don't get it but it just make you know it, it just resonates deeply there is something and then you. You work, you chew, it's not like the Western idea of, I have a book, I, I've read it and I put it back. No, it's like a, yeah, like an old school chewing gum that you, you know, you chew it and then you put it, uh, I don't know, and then you put it back again, okay, actually that's not how chewing gums ever worked, but yeah. So um, in a way, um, the the joy, there's something that felt true, right? And, um, and that's where I think when we start the commodification or when we we, we are in a space of commodification as well, right? Calm, higher space, et cetera. they have their benefits, but there's also maybe the op, the 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 non, the negative side is that people think that is meditation. And it's, and, 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 and also we even have a commodification of retreats. People go on a guenka retreat and after 10 days, they think they're expert at something like where in the, in which category in the world where you just watch VHS videos of a dude for 10 days, you think that you're an expert at something, you know? So it just shows how, how we are really at the beginning. As well as a society to use those new technologies that can help us to more agency, to more ownership of our lives, but we're still at the beginning. And I I kind of noticed that there's almost like four different categories. And it starts with like this Mac mindfulness, like you look on that burger and like, oh, you know, breathe in, breathe out, eat the Big Mac, put it back down, you no? Know? And then you move on, ah, that was nice. Let me now try Headspace. And then you try it out and you're like, oh, that's super cool, I like that. And then you enter this the third stage is that like it's that the the stage of the cool hip yoga teacher you know so you you maybe had some experiences and then you share on instagram with other people you know and then you maybe want to go even deeper and then you enter i don't know you go you you ordain as a monk or you you try different things out you know it's that i it kind of if you're curious it goes down that path right and um so the commodification is, 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 can only be bad if we only stay at the, the first two stages. But if a society slowly moves down, it's a beautiful thing. You know?
1: And bringing in also mindfulness in, in the business world, there may, may be uh, a boss that wants to have his um, employees, his co-workers and to be more Efficient, more and more effective, and um, things that letting them meditate is a is a good thing for that. Of course, <laughs> this would be, um, yeah, a manipulative um, move on his side, but being exposed to these practices, even at the lower levels that that you mentioned, it Nicholas, um, has some effect and uh, changes them and um, moves them forward. And if they are exposed to these other levels, they may um, choose to go deeper. And um, it's, it's not har- harmful in that way. So that's not the problem of commodification, that it's, it's harmful. I think the problem can be, as we I think we agreed in the last couple of minutes on um, getting getting stuck on a, on a limited understanding.
2: And there's the funny thing with like mindfulness training for for organization is like like one of the co- most common make mindfulness kind of criticism is that in, in so that that we that people once they start to to do those mindfulness trainings they're just being pushed into just being more effective. But the funny thing is, once you go and do mindfulness trainings for organization that are a bit more dysfunctional, it's just. Th- The people that are in there are just realizing, hey, this is shit, and I'm just going out. So, if you are an organization where you you actually, your heart is not at the right place, maybe think twice before you hire a mindfulness trainer or not. I don't know. So, actually, it's again this let's put agency back into, you know, to the, let's give agency back to the people. And I see this kind of shift as well as in our kind of, understanding of how society works like you know so, so sociologists like Hart Rosa that kind of say it's not only about how much money people have and so on it's about how much they enter a resonance with things you know that determines how if they live a happy fulfilled life and this kind of turn into how we perceive things and give back agency to people is, is very beautiful to witness right now.
0: I want to introduce a headline, actually a couple of headlines, and I will start with spiritual bypassing and uh, give uh, one example out of that book from Robert Augustus Masters that I read a couple of times and that definitely for me, and I passed it on to many, many people, was a pretty life-changing. And the example goes a little bit I will stretch it a little bit further than in the book. It's like if you meditate and you have a friend that meditates and you perceive your friend as if that friend was truly going through some tough times, let's say maybe um, he lost a person due to death or out of a relationship and actually you as his close friend or her friend have the feeling this person should really grieve or be maybe feel feel a certain tension in the system but when you ask that person you know like how do you feel this person would give you a very instagrammy oh everything is good or as a guy no Alles good, alles good, everything good. So it almost seems that people that do only meditate have certain character traits um, be, be overlooked. And to finish that intro and then hand over to you, and I'm really curious to hear some examples from your experience and background is i was not even able to feel anger up until maybe a handful of years ago because it seems that this feeling or the process of feeling angry and setting healthy boundaries was so tightly locked and buried that it actually took quite a while to to unlock a healthy response of clear boundaries, and sometimes a healthy response of anger instead of like sitting it all away and smiling it all away. So this is one example out of spiritual bypassing. And I'm curious to, yeah, listen in if you know the concept. And, yeah, what are your experiences of spiritual bypassing in the various, yeah, backgrounds or just that one background, Felix, that you have with um, Buddhism, Zen Buddhism? (laughs)
1: I mean, and I shared the story with you in person, uh, privately. Yeah, this 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 practice path um, a more traditional practice path can can work for 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 some people. And they they can blossom in it. And and that's that's it. And at the same time, if you have and you mentioned the concept of of shadows and maybe to add to this um, trauma that's in in your life. it, it can be hard even if you have, Nicholas, you put it having the baseline of uh, witnessing what's going on. It, it can be very hard and even um, destructive in your life because the shadows, traumas, you usually don't have, and you indicated this in your case with, um, with anger. You don't have access to that and then it can be can be really destructive especially if your entire environment and um, said tells you now you have to meditate um more intensively and uh, just stick with it and i had um, in my context with the zen tradition yeah examples of yeah people that used they really intense and and pure form, sometimes strict form of of Zen Zen meditation practice to 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 re reenact their Catholic traumas Mm. and um, to to feel miserable and um, to hurt their own bodies. In other cases, uh, psychotic, depressive people, um, alcoholic people, that were suggested that yeah, just just meditating more um, would would be the solution. And it obviously didn't um, didn't seem like that, at least at least to me and. Yeah, so spiritual bypassing is very, very easy for oneself. Practicing because meditation in itself is a form of uh, stabilization, but um, is if this stabilization isn't, you don't use the stabilization for um, looking very closely at at yourself and then um, allowing letting go of control, allowing whatever comes up come up the washing machine that you mentioned, Nicholas, and have it as as the basis. Yes, as the vessel to have a, an, a chemical image for for the transformation for for the healing um, it and only gets a mean to to stabilize um, the status quo for yourself namely being dissociated from 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 the pain from 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 the hurt from trauma from 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 shadow material then it gets really problematic for yourself and if you are then in a, in a community, that reinforce it, forces this by telling you, "Yeah, meditate more," or it's something about your bad ego that you struggle and let go of the ego. Then it gets even more severe, and sometimes, um, yeah, in my estimation, can be really, really destructive. And what are some of your experiences, Nicholas? Yeah, no,
2: I love that. You know, um. One of the pillars of, like, all the three pillars of good meditation are focused attention, open awareness, and kind intention. And I think, especially with the last one, we really struggle also to cultivate it within ourselves, kind intention, you know. Um, And especially in traditions where just a hard practice is being, you know, is being seen as as the one thing that can really help you. I find this often, and yeah, I, there there are quite a lot of stories of people that go into a kind of tradition where they, there's kind of a, a harshness there, and then um, and they being yeah, and they see certain childhood traumas kind of being taken on and 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 taking their own role and. Um, even abuses of power etc and this is why i find it that there, there is a danger of getting lost in this jungle of mindfulness and um, i personally think there is um there's four things that are really important the one is waking up or like having great experiences and training your mind and regulating yourself but then there's also the growing up like you know you have to actually kind of li- lift your you know you have to kind of move 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 up with your now that you see more you have to also grow up as a person and then you have to clean up and that also sometimes means like oh wait a second that i see my own traumas or oh, i see my own vulnerabilities hey can i can i now go go can i can i clean this up maybe with someone who's a professional and then there's the fourth part which i find even more important is the show up is like how can i then show up for others and it's so easy it is so easy to see spiritual bypassing in other people it's so almost impossible to see it in yourself so you need to get good people around you that can tell you hey honestly that was not the right answer right now you know and but if you really do it right it just looking into yourself means becoming more human. So, for example, in the last two three years, I've kind of made friends and and I became even more accustomed to see jealousy, anger, and especially anger arising, and I and um, and pity, self pity, and so in some ways I. I became more friends with it and have people shared about their experiences. I became more curious about it. So I feel like even if you're, you know, if you train meditation, whatever you, sometimes you, you're only five minutes ahead at times in terms of self-regulation, but that makes, doesn't make you less human. Even it makes you even more perceptive to emotions and so on. So I feel like. I became more vulnerable even through that, you know, and, and, but also far more curious about like the, I don't know if, if other people experience things that are, that are so deeply human.
0: I don't really know. So it feels like almost like a good, good wrapping of the whole conversation, just like waking up. So this, aspect to wake up to both enlightenment the eternal nature of every moment you know born from now into now into now so the the waking up moment the the growing up uh, part uh, which I would say is definitely like this more mundane experience of us not uh, living in a monastic setting most of us have to earn money live relationships uh, get to grips with a a healthy um sexuality or whatever um the the cleaning up part which i feel refers um, mainly to the shadow aspects of our psyche be it addiction abuse trauma uh, or also abusing uh, others and then the showing up part so i have the feeling if we if we stay with these four mentioned uh, aspects uh, towards uh, the end of our dialogue and i really have the feeling this could be one of the um yeah takeaways for our audience and maybe in between these like four i would not say it's it feels more like four parts of a wheel because they are all intertwined. Um, Yeah. Are there some recommendations uh, that you give because I will give some recommendations, but uh, I will uh, I will hand over to either Felix or Nikolas to. Yeah. Comment on that.
1: No, really comment because um, these these four dimensions are quite a good summary. Uh, more and more a question about um, what do we feel, how does this relate to the initial question that we started with um, about debunking meditation?
0: I'm happy to go with that. But maybe Nicholas wants to go first.
2: Yeah, I think the showing up part is so beautiful is um we shouldn't like it, it today Stephen betcher gave a beautiful lecture to us about the the life of the buddha and it it seems like if we reconst- reconstruct what this man was about it was all about almost obama like going into communities constructing communities helping people of all different Path, you know, and swords and, and from drunk yards to, you know, that guy who has the pigs, etc. you know, three monks that wouldn't even listen to him. So he just walk away, you know, so it's kind of actually it's that if you have checked, if you have a little bit of, I don't know if there's something you can help to assist others, go out there and do something, you know, don't go away and do a crazy Instagram post where you're bitching about the world. No, try to understand how the world works and um, read, talk with scientists, experts, whatever. And especially become an expert of, of your own field and help out. Everything else is just like, what the fuck are you even doing? You know, so, And I think that's my biggest problem right now with, with the spiritual community is like, are you a change for the better or not? And my my mother, who's the least spiritual person in the world, is a, is a nurse who's helping people right now. Um, it, it, I don't know, ever since I grew up in my, my childhood till now, and she's now in a, in a retirement home, she's helping people just ease until the end of life. And there's never been a sentence or a word about, I don't know, going away from this responsibility. And I sometimes hear the grand words and blah, 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 you know, from, from people in, in the spiritual world, but I, I lack this action of going and helping people where it's needed, you know. And I honestly, I think there's three fingers pointing back to me when I say those things. Uh, and yeah, I might be failing in that regard most of the times as well, you know. It's just, I find the most important part of all.
0: I don't know if it's already the closing words, but I'm obviously like the most polemic guy in in, in the in the room of the three of us. So um, debunking meditation for me definitely means that sugarcoating bullshit in the literal sense. So you, yeah you know, you have bullshit and then you put sugarcoat on it. Doesn't make it like truly like more meaningful. Um, i don't think that injecting more mindfulness even if it's a layer deeper of mac mindfulness into for example companies that by definition already have an extractive business model i mean i advocate as an agent for radical systemic change really makes sense unless that obviously these people come to grips with the fact that they're supporting an extractive business model and leaving the company or changing the business model So that's definitely like one thing that I want to put in the middle. Um, Secondly, the recommendation for. Maybe counterintuitively, people that do a lot of meditation um, and they become, for example, a coaching client, usually I tell them stop meditating for a bit, do psychotherapy, that's it, right? On the other hand, if people come from with a background of like psychotherapy and they have like looked a lot into their shadow, muddy, murky, depressed contracted parts, you know, then I say maybe you stop therapy for a moment and you gather some beautiful peer experiences and oneness experiences. And, um, I really had, I don't know if it's a big aha moment, but when, when Nicholas was talking about this waking up, growing up, cleaning up, showing up, um, it literally feels almost like a wheel with four parts where sometimes we're at different stages in our life. And sometimes we need to focus more on certain aspects. And to finish that off, it almost feels like closing words. I certainly have this feeling after having done a lot of waking up, a lot of growing up, and a lot of cleaning up in the last 14 years or so. For me, my focus is primarily showing up. This does not mean I don't continue the, the cleaning up uh, or growing up or uh, part, but for me in my life, it's definitely most about the showing up. For others it might be exactly the opposite. They had a lot mm-hmm. of showing up, so maybe it's time to clean up a bit or grow up a bit. Mm. Yeah. Happy to hand Felix, over. Alex, I would
2: Thanks, Alistair. I would love to hear your do you do you wanna do, say the last words and your 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 take on deep and and maybe some suggestions? I'd be super curious.
1: Yeah, yeah I I'd leave it with Ari's closing word. And yeah, I just want to thank you for, for the conversation, guys. Really enjoyed that.
2: Thank you, guys. That was really beautiful. And I hope to, yeah, three Germans speaking in three, English. Th-
0: three Germans with a brutal German accent now closing. Yeah. Thanks, Nicolas. Thanks, Felix. Jawohl. There's more to talk about it another time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much.
2: Buona notte, everyone. Ciao.